This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. 60 years, neither Duke or UNC are ranked when they take the floor Saturday night, 6 p.m. inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. Both of these programs have had their share of futility during the season, to say the least. Uh, but it's but anyway, it's still Duke and UNC. We got a lot to cover tonight, uh, so let's strap in. But real quick, let's introduce, reintroduce our guests uh, back on the Five Point Play podcast after popular demand. The, the famed Instagram Duke.mbb over fifty thousand plus strong of Duke fans, and I'm sure there are quite a few haters in that following as well. But re- you know, we we got a big one. We're forty eight hours away from Duke UNC. Uh, for the first time this season, we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit different this week. We got five topics as always, but we're gonna go around the horn, and we want to get everybody's idea of how we're feeling coming into this one. But we're gonna start on a high note because it could be so easy to start on a low note. At low note after what we saw on Monday night. So Jack, real quick, I want you to give me ninety seconds of your thoughts of the Clemson game last Saturday. All right. I mean, I think I think the easiest way to start is just saying wow. That was <laughs> that was the best. That was Duke basketball. That was the first time really all season we've seen Duke basketball get played, which I mean, it makes me happy. It sucks that it was so late, uh, late <laughs> January, but it's great to finally see that in action. I thought uh honestly, I thought at the end of that game, that that game could be a turning point in our season. I still think it could be um, pending the results this Saturday. Uh, it was just all around dominant game. We had we uh, had seven more assists than Clemson, four less turnovers, nineteen more points off turnovers, fifteen more fast break points. Um, we saw Mark Williams have two less points in that game than he did the entire season before that night. Wendell making three threes. He made four all last season, so that's an important thing to note. Um, even like Jordan Goldwire, of everyone who played more than 10 minutes, scored the least. He scored four. We had six rebounds, five assists, two steals. Jalen was uh, – I mean, he only had five assists, but outside of that, he was looking at like double-double type numbers. That dunk, that was like Grant Hill over, I think it was Eric Montrose type, like UNC type look. Um it's absolutely insane game. I am very, I was very happy to see it, and uh, I hope we can see more of that this season. Yeah, I think we all kind of expected that, you know, after that game, that that could potentially be a turning point. Andrew, uh, he brought up the Jalen Johnson dunk. Uh, as a Duke student, how bad do you feel for Jalen Johnson uh, not having the Cameron crazies there to to welcome him into the brotherhood with that dunk? And what what, what were your overall feelings coming out of that? Yeah, um, I'm glad you guys brought that up because that was going to be one of the things I talked about. Um, well, A, I feel really bad for him that he didn't have the, the fan support behind him because I cannot imagine how loud and electric Cameron would have been um, after that dunk. Because uh, like you guys were saying, I was going to say, I thought that dunk, I know it was early, but I thought that just shift, totally shifted the momentum of the game because – Right after that, I don't think that game was particularly close again. I'm I'm more still curious if we just played very well. I, obviously, we did play very well, or is Clemson's offense just that bad? Because if you look at it, we scored, I think it was 79 points we scored, 
uh, compared to our season average of like 75, I think it is. So that like we didn't offensively, we didn't play much differently than normal. I think we we were 32.3 percent from three, and our season average is 32.7. We shot 46 percent from the floor that game versus 45 uh, on, on norms or normal another game. So like we didn't play particularly better offensively than we normally do. I, I did think the defense was definitely better, but I also think it was a bit of Clemson's offense just being that bad. Yeah, and, and AC, you know, I, I thought that, you know, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, you, you kind of see AC's reactions in real time. <laughs> you really did believe that this was – we weren't just going to springboard from here. And I don't want to get into the Miami game because that's going to be next. Right. But what, what did you see specifically from us that, you know, led you to – you know, not just the dominant performance, but what did you see specifically from this team that led you to believe that? Number one, we forced Clemson into a 39% effective field goal percentage rate, which is horrendous and for them and great for us because that showed that our defense had life. And our guys were making they – were, they were making assertive plays. We talked all season about how this team feels weak. We've brought up that they didn't have an offseason. They didn't have a chance to get into the weight room. You know, Jordan Goldwire won the belt this year out of what? Because because he's the only person left, right, who hasn't won it on, on the team at this point. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's no offseason. There's no chance for these freshmen to get a, a chance to get into the weight room and, and condition the way they need to condition for college basketball. So we haven't made assertive plays. Like, we haven't made the type of plays. Like, Jalen Johnson loves finger rolls. Like, he jumps with his head at the rim, and then he finger rolls, as opposed to just putting it down. Like, those are not assertive plays. And like and, and like Andrew mentioned, when he made that dunk, it wasn't close after that. That That's a deflating play for the other team. Those are the plays that Zion made night after night. I'm not trying to compare it. I'm just saying those are the plays he made night after night that got the team just going crazy, right? So we don't do that this season. And and we did that against Clemson. And I think that's that was the start of something special because I felt like we had a verve. Kay always talks about verve. We had a verve. We had we – had, something that was working and everyone was playing. We had five, almost six guys in double figures. Like it's, that's crazy. It, it, that game looked yeah. nothing like what this team looks like. Yeah. I took my exact words were to you. What team am I watching? You know, yeah. I had, I, I just was so stunned that, you know, I was watching what I was and, you know, I agree with all of you guys. That Jalen Johnson dunk is the one where you said, wow, that is what we've been missing, that highlight real play. We've seen a couple of dunks from DJ Stewart, but really nothing that was like, wow, that, that shows the level of talent that Jalen Johnson has. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say, I want to I open it up to you guys. You know, AC, you kind of you led us to it, but this team has such a low ceiling and and really, like, the floor and the ceiling are as close together as a Duke team that I, I've seen in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Did, did this at least make you feel that maybe the ceiling is a little bit higher than I thought it was? It did, and it still does. Regardless of what happened with Miami, it still does. If we if we look back, and again, not comparing, I'm just trying to show scenarios. If we look back at 2014-15, we had that two games in a row that we lost, came back, won a game, and then we lost, uh, I believe it was to Notre Dame right after that. And then we went on an unbelievable streak until the ACC tournament, right? So I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say that this is what's happening right now. 
But I am saying that one loss doesn't change the entire thing. And maybe this one loss, Wendell kept saying it in the uh, the post-game press conference. Wendell kept saying, we didn't listen to coach. We didn't listen to coach. We didn't listen to coach. He said it three different times in three different ways. So clearly, they didn't listen to coach. So I don't think we lost to Miami because we are worse than Miami and we are just that untalented that we can't beat Miami. I think that we got a little bit ahead of ourselves because of what happened against Clemson. And we, we didn't play the way we're supposed to play. It was quite obvious. Like, it was quite obvious. So just like I say that Clemson didn't look like our team normally looks, I, I also don't think Miami looks like our team normally looks. So let, let's see what happens against UNC, man. I'm, I'm willing to say and willing to see next game. Let's play next play, just like we put on this podcast all the time, next play, and let's see what happens. What do you got, Jack? Um... I know there was a point, I think it was Andrew said that like our our offense against Clemson was relatively normal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I really do think is important to look at is, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to ignore the Miami game for now. <laughs> we'll get to that in a sec. Oh, don't, don't, um, worry. Yeah, don't worry, Jack. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. So Clemson has a top 20 defense in the country, mm-hmm. and we put up our averages against them, and they also have... I think a top 30 offense. I don't remember the exact numbers. This is something Columbia. like, and we, yeah, I, I don't I remember can't. if that's correct necessarily. But. Sounds stupid. I know it does, but Clemson has been playing out of their minds this season. They were ranked 12 at one point. You got to remember. Yep. So I remember that. like we had, we dropped 79 on them. We gave up 53. This is a team that is very efficient on both sides of the ball. And we picked them apart both ways. It's very hard against a, an ACC team in general, let alone a top defensive team in the country, to put up your season averages, and we were able to do that. I think that's special, and I think that shows, as has been said by each of us, that this team can play a lot better than we've seen. Yeah, no, so for me, you know, I was just so blown away. Um, you know, I, I did not think that Duke was going to win that game. I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, I thought that, you know, we're just so inconsistent. It's impossible for us to to really have any clue what team is going to come out. And unfortunately, that's pretty much what happened when we took the floor Monday night. So we're going to start uh, with the second segment against Miami. Obviously losing another heartbreaker. This is like the typical Duke team this year where these games are real close, down to the wire. And, you know, unfortunately, outside of the Georgia Tech game, we don't find ways to win. I was not sure what Duke team was going to come out because I don't know who this Duke team is yet. Andrew, walk us through, going into the Miami game, did you fully expect Duke to come out there and pick up right where they left off against Clemson? Or were you a little bit apprehensive saying, you know what, I hope that they're going to pick it up from there, but they're also a young team, so I'm not really sure which team's going to show up. Um. I, so I I expected them to pick up where they left off. I I was actually just looking at your tweet um, from a couple of days ago. It said uh, Georgia Tech was the turning point. Clemson was the acceleration. Like that was that was kind of my mindset too. Um, so now I'm I'm looking back at it and I'm just thinking like where did we go wrong? And I think there's two sides. I mean my take at least is there's two different sides to look at why we lost the first the first side is i i like you said wendell after the game coach k they whatever we didn't listen um 
to what he was saying. He, Coach K said he was disappointed. I thought there was a clear lack of energy. Miami just wanted it more. Um, we had eight assists and 13 turnovers. And I think we had 29 makes on eight assists. That's pretty bad. Um, the other thing is, so that's the first side of it, just the lack of effort, lack of energy, I guess. It didn't quite hard. Then the second part of it, uh, I, I I don't mean to take shots at Coach here, but I, there was a couple questionable things, mostly rotation-wise. Um, so Roach only played 14 minutes. I know he's been not great, but I, I just think he needs to be your guy. Um, I know he's not ready. I think he'll be great next year. Um, he's had, he's had some streaky games, but like you don't you don't win college basketball games without at least a good point guard. And I just I, I don't know. I'd like to see him play a lot more than 14 minutes a game, and just piggybacking on the rotation point it's it feels like i call it coach k's par for the course seven man rotation um it feels like every year around this point where we always rave about having deep teams at the beginning of the year and then mid-season hits and the rotation always gets chopped down to seven guys and like normally i'd be fine with it but in a game where i think you need a lot of energy on the road you're struggling to hit shots. It's just infuriating seeing the same guys out there. I texted Jack. I was just like, and here comes the seven-man rotation again. I was just like, uh, where's Joey Baker? Where's Brakefield? It's just a little annoying. And, and I think you make a lot of great points. One of the things that uh, I agree with you on is the rotation. Um, you know, I've been saying for the last couple of podcasts that, you know, one of the things that we need to do is – you know, get Roach more involved because we have no ceiling this year. So there's really no point in not playing Jeremy Roach more at the point guard position, especially when Goldwire really wasn't playing very well. So why is he playing 35 minutes? Roach had played really well on Saturday against Clemson. He should have played more than 14 minutes. I agree. I don't know what the hell happened to to uh, Joey Baker. And did we just heard a dog bark? So... Perfect segue, Jack. Why is Jamin Brayfield in the doghouse? I don't know. I've been saying, like, I think it's like, I hate it. He's a huge energy player. And, I mean, my my notes on this Miami game is just the team played complacent, played out of it. And, like, we we shouldn't have been in that game type of energy. And Jamin Brayfield is, like... I don't know, before last season, Javin Delaria was our big energy guy um, his first few years at Duke. And I think Jamin can play and should play a similar role. Obviously, he's a little more talented than Javin was at that point in his career. But sure I think, is. yeah, like that's not a question. At, but point, like, at any point, why is he getting three. the Javin treatment? <laughs> like, I, I love Javin, great guy. Got to meet him when I was at the ACC tournament, but. Why? Why is he? Why is Jamin getting the Javin treatment when he's a better player than some of the guys that are getting minutes? Um, he's started games this season, and he he got a DNP. I I think he deserves play time. That's a big thing. Um, another thing I have written down here is like we, as I said, we that's not a game Duke should have even been in. There was a point Miami made a shot after the shot clock buzzer expired, and the ball hadn't left the guy's hands, but the refs called the shot good. The game should have gone to overtime. 
I just want to point that out. Duke did not deserve to win, but that that's a game that with their refereeing should have gone to overtime. I just think it's kind of crazy. Like, even with no heart, the team was able to be in it. Imagine what they can do when they have that verve, that energy, and that, like, that dog. Yeah, I mean, AC, that's a perfect segue to you. Um, you know, I think to me, it, it, it was all about the fact that this team, and Coach K even said it, that this team did not come out with any sense of urgency, any sense of heart, uh, determination. That I don't know if it was, and this was my big fear coming into that game, was is this team just not experienced enough to know that you just can't walk into a Miami team that's undermanned two and nine in the conference and expect to win? Yeah, pretty much. It, it has nothing to do with Miami being more talented than us. It, it has everything to do with we play to the, to our level of competition in a lot of cases. And that's evident by the game prior. We only let Clemson shoot 39% effective field goal rate. Miami shot 59% effective field goal rate. So that's a huge difference, man. When you look at advanced stats, it's a giant difference. They just got whatever shot they wanted. So we can say you know, Miami was ranked like 130th in the nation or whatever they were before the game, but they shot and played like a top 10 team because we allowed it. Like we allowed that to happen. So yeah, we're going to get beat in that scenario. Like us getting beat my, by Miami that night is like being beat by a good team, which is why I'm not ready to give up on the team yet. However, it is our fault for letting them do that. Like these are D1 college players. Like any night a D1 college player can just go nuts and we got Miami's best shot because we allowed them to ha- make it happen. We were actually really efficient on offense. Our guys were actually really good on offense for the most part. Offense wasn't the problem this night. This night was all about defense and all about heart and assertive plays. Down the stretch, I watched twice. Watched it twice with Jalen Johnson taking the ball to the rack, and he got fouled on both of the plays, but he took it up. Again, like I, like I mentioned before in the Clemson wrap-up, head near the rim and he's finger rolling at the backboard, bro. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, sorry. Like when you are, when you're that athletic, when you're putting on Instagram, you dunk in between your legs and stuff, like do it in the game, do it in the game. Show me, like, bring it to us because you are, he is Jalen Johnson speaking directly to you. You are one of our best players. You're one of the best players in the country when you want to be. But when you don't make assertive plays, manly plays, like quite honestly, then what, what, what's happening? Like, what are you really doing? You're not showing anybody anything. You're not sending any messages. So hopefully, hopefully this game, like that Notre Dame game for 2014-15, is a wake-up call saying, look what you could do before this. Look what you're capable of when you're at full strength. And let's get back to work. Because like, like the guy, like, like Jack and Andrew were saying, you know, the rotation is going to be what it's going to be. Jamin's going to get time or he's not going to get time. I, I, I think he's being challenged by Kay right now, and I have a feeling to end the season we're going to see more Jamin, but we're not going to see him right now. So, you know, whatever whatever happens with that happens. But the guys that are on the floor have to play, and they got to play for 40 minutes, man. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there um, because really – to, to me, again, it all comes back to the fact that this team just has a really low basketball IQ, and that is from top to bottom. You know, some of the defensive plays that Matthew Hurt didn't make were just dumbfounding. Some of the plays, I don't understand how many times Wendell Moore can leave his feet, um, you know, when he's on a fast break, uh, get himself caught in no man's land and make the wrong play. Uh, I'm not sure how many times we can dump it down to Govar on the block when you're driving and he has absolutely no chance or taking terrible threes. 
But to bring it all back, really, who wants the low-hanging fruit here of Jalen Johnson at the very end there not taking that shot? Who wants it? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take oh it. That's God. a that's that's a microcosm of our entire season right there. And just inexperience, number one, because you're dribbling down court, you grab the rebound, you're dribbling down court, and you can see the shot clock. So you have two choices in your mind. An experienced player knows this if he's been in those types of situations. You have two choices. You either take the shot yourself or you pass early to someone else who can take the shot. So that that was purely a play of unassertiveness and 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 really just straight up confusion and and that's exactly what we're talking about that's exactly the the examples i brought up with him taking finger rolls at the rim when he's by himself like dunk the ball like be assertive you control the action you're jalen johnson you're about to go play for the oklahoma city thunder next season like be assertive be that guy right so like it's that that's that was it that was exactly like that was Jalen's season so far in a nutshell right there that was unassertive K calling him soft, that type of thing. That was exactly it right there. And and we should the game should never come down to a last second play like that. Like no, no, the last not. second play is not the last second play is not the problem. The problem right. is the way the last second play played out. It, yeah, right. you said it. It, it summed up the, our entire season so far, both for him and for for, for right. Duke. But go ahead, Jack. I mean, I really couldn't say it any better. It's like. That's the whole season right there. It's being passive instead of being aggressive and taking it up yourself. Like the entire team has been that way. Like you saw how many passes did the team as a whole make uh, on Monday night that just went into the hands of Miami's defenders? Like there was a lot of that. And like Mm -hmm. the one guy who's taking charge is probably the worst offensive player in the rotation, Goldwire taking 10 shots because nobody else would. He's the only one who wasn't a, he's the only person in the game who played major minutes, who was under 50% shooting on a night. Like, that's oh, crazy, shit. and we lost. Are you kidding me? That's because no one else was taking the shots. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, that, 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 was, that was my point about Goldwire. I know we're getting off the rails here, but that was my point with Goldwire. How many times have you ever watched it where Goldwire is, like, down on the block because he's, like, trying to make a cut or something, and, like, they'll throw it to him? And it's like you're throwing it to the smallest guy on the floor because you got yourself in the air in no man's land and you have nowhere to go with it. And then he either gets blocked or misses a layup. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just, it, it, it's, I don't want to get into the gold wire missing layup thing. But, you know, uh, look, I, th- I agree with Andrew at the beginning. You know, the rotation to me was the biggest thing um, because it's not like he didn't, you know, K tried different teams and, you know, zones and mans and pressure and sag off. Credit to Miami for going 7 to 13 from three and knocking them down when they're the worst three point shooting team in. Uh, major college basketball, but you know what? We could spend an hour on this segment inventing, but we got a game to play Saturday night at 6 p.m. And Andrew, I'm going to take it over to you because in your mind, UNC has played pretty poorly all year too. They just have played more games. Uh, You know, if we play our non-conference games, I'm sure we have a pretty similar record. We know we're seven and six, they're 11 and six. But to you, when you look at these two teams and these two rosters, what is the most important matchup coming into Saturday night? Yeah, so this is a this is a tough one for me. Um, I'm either between um, Williams, Mark Williams, versus the three UNC bigs, uh, Baycott, Sharp, and Brooks, or um, Caleb Love versus uh, 
Goldwire and Roach. Um, I, I think if I had to pick the most important, I would go with um, Love versus Goldwire slash Roach. Because I, I kind of think, like, for, from our perspective, we're not expecting a ton out of Williams in this game. Like, we're, I'm, we're expecting, like, UNC's bigs are going to, like, get theirs. It's kind of inevitable. Like, we're... We're just going to see how much she can contain them. But if Goldwire can just kind of be a pest to Love and just – like, Love has been terrible. I, I'm not – sorry to be scathing, but, I mean, it's UNC. Who really cares? But right. <laughs> yeah, you got to be honest. He's, he's been – he's shooting, like, 30% from the floor and 22% from three. So, if Goldwire can just absolutely, like, take him out of the game and get in his head, um, like, that – I think that's where I think that's where it's it all starts, um, and then we just take over from there. Because, like I said, um, you're expecting like if you saw the game versus Clemson, like UNC's bigs, like uh, like even when Baycott wasn't doing well, like Sharp still got his. So like they're they're gonna they're gonna be involved and they're gonna get their touches. So I and like we'll still be able to win if they do get all their touches and their looks. So. I really think it's going to come down to just Goldwire being a pest to love and Roach playing more than 14 minutes and hopefully uh, having a good offensive game, just running the show a little bit. Yeah, you know, I was actually between the same two. Uh, you know, everybody wants to obviously talk about their bids, and that's their that's their advantage. Right. AC, you know, where did you see? You know, I mean, what is your you know most important matchup? And and to piggyback off of Andrew. You know, what do you think about that point guard matchup? Because really, you know, Caleb Love and Jeremy Roach, statistically speaking, mm. are almost identical. But, you know, the gold wire factor there does, you know, certainly help us in terms of disrupting them. For sure. And how many times do we say in the Duke-UNC rivalry, it doesn't matter what the records are, the players are going to come out and play, right? So I, I, I would I, I want to say, but it, it's just too broad. It, it's too broad for me to say that it's it's going to come down to the big the their bigs versus our bigs and our defensive scheme versus their offensive scheme because UNC is super efficient from two and we are super inefficient defending the two. So, like Andrew said, we're gonna they're gonna get their points on the interior. That's it. It is what it is. We're not shutting their bigs down. I don't care who goes on the floor. Mark, Henry, yeah. Jalen, I don't care who's on the floor. We're going to get shut down by the bigs. Can we stay out of foul trouble is a big thing. And can our stars take over? That's always what happens in Duke UNC. There's a freshman that goes nuts, and there's a star that goes nuts. So we have that in Jalen. So can Jalen make this his, like, one shining moment type of deal? Can he be like, all right, after Clemson, they're like, they're putting me back in the top five in the NBA draft. Can I get back to that? And we have Matt Hurt. Matt Hurt's been consistent all season. I don't. I don't see why Matt can't do it in this game. So I, I think it's going to be Jalen and Matt versus Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott, or even Dayron Sharp. If you, if whoever, one of those two is going to have the better game between Armando and, and Dayron Sharp. And I have a feeling it's going to be Dayron because Armando Baycott is the softest player on the planet. I've been telling you that because I coached against the guy back in 2012. Name I'm dropping. You, Armando Baycott is the softest basketball player I've ever seen in my life. You can't be 6'6 when you're 12 years old against other 12-year-old kids who are like 5'10", and get run off the floor, man. I watched it happen. It was so easy. It was so easy to run Armando off the floor. So Armando Baycott, I'm saying it to you. Softest player 
in the country, hands down. Wow. I, I hope he goes wow. when he goes to the NBA. I hope he goes to whatever team is playing against the Knicks every night so that we have a soft player that we can take advantage of <laughs> so the Knicks can do something. Jack, you know, I'm so sorry that you had to follow that. Uh, I told you sometimes he goes off the rails. Uh, to bring it back, though, uh, he did make a couple of really good points. Um, you know, it could be – and Andrew, to piggyback on that as well, you know, they're going to get their points inside. Do you see a matchup there, though, that we might be able to somehow potentially exploit? So I I do. I actually, when I was doing my like prep for this, I – I couldn't settle on a matchup that I think would be most important both ways. So I kind of wrote one down for Duke's offense and for Duke's defense. Um, if that's all good with everyone. I mean, I think I'm going to talk about the big, the big guys first, obviously, like we've been talking Carolina's bigs. This is their most balanced scoring team. I think in a while, I mean, nobody's averaging more than 12 per game. The last time that happened, Roy Williams was a player, I believe. <laughs> um, that's because they all suck. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I mean, when your leading scorer is Armando Baycott, as you said, the softest player in the history of basketball, what do you expect? Um, but that aside, uh, I think our our biggest on offense, Duke's biggest um, matchup, it could also be defensively. Um, it's going to be Garrison Brooks and Matt Hurt because, I mean, obviously Brooks is, he's a very good interior presence uh, both ways, but Matt Hurt, can exploit that perimeter uh, defense or lack thereof that Carolina's bigs have. And uh, if he can shoot like we've seen him do in the past, um, not like the Clemson game, or not Clemson, excuse me, the Miami game, he shot decently well against uh, Clemson, but not if he can shoot better than he did against Miami, I think that's a big matchup for Duke on the offensive side of the ball. Now the other way I think I think Andrew said love and Goldwire that's that's the one that I really circled uh, for Carolina's offense because this is a guy who does not know how to score the ball but is a shoot first player he's shooting below forty six percent at the rim he's shooting twenty eight percent from mid range he's shooting twenty two percent from three if Goldwire can force him to take a late shot clock pull up two point shot I'm I'm okay with that a hundred percent of the time because Five times out of seven, it's not going in. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very okay with seeing that happen if if that's how we can force the defense to go. As yeah, long as she's under the rest, right? Because like Miami was, you know, they had very similar stats, but they were just wide open when they were taking shots. We didn't even have hands up. Like as long as they're under duress, and I think that I think you guys are bring up a great point with Jordan Goldwire is like he's he's our defensive guy. Like he's he's known for that. So as as long as he's he's making Caleb Love stress, then then life's gonna be bad for Caleb. Otherwise, if if he's not on him or if he's not if he's not playing that good defense, then you know who knows what's gonna happen. So so I actually have a question, um, AC. I'll keep it with you. You know, one of my things with Goldwire, though, is nominal defender, but he's like a matador on defense where people blow by him time after mm-hmm. time. You know, to Jack's point. You know, I almost want, you know, Caleb Love to have the ball with, you know, under 10 seconds to go in the shot clock. So mm-hmm. do you switch off Goldwire onto someone else, whether it's Andrew Davis, uh, Walton, or whoever's in the game, your boy Andrew Playtech, whoever's mm-hmm. in the game at that point, uh, and just kind of have him off the ball and then, you know, hopefully let either DJ or Jeremy Roach kind of man up Caleb Love so that, you know, when it does get into that 
under 10 second point. I kind of like their defense, honestly, on the ball a little bit better than Goldwire. Yeah, I do actually. I, I, I would love to see Goldwire and somebody else like Leaky Black. Like, watch out for Rashawn Leaky Black because that dude, as bad as a season as he can possibly have against Duke, he's going to be great. All right? right. We saw it last year in that game at Carolina. Like, that, that dude, like everybody else, has somebody that they get up for. And Leaky Black gets up for Duke because he really, really wanted to be recruited by Duke. So that's one of those dudes. And that's one of those storylines. That's a narrative thing, right? But it's a narrative that's going to play out because he's going to have a good game against us if we let him. So I'd love to see Goldwire on Leaky Black. And yeah, like I, I think Jeremy and or DJ can absolutely let Caleb do what he's going to do. He's going he's gonna to take more shots than anybody else on Carolina's roster. So let him do that. But just make sure you put a hand up. Make sure you don't let him get to his favorite spots on the floor. Make sure that he's under duress when he does it. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. You know, Leaky Black is actually leading Carolina in minutes played. So, you know, certainly expect him to be out there a great deal. Andrew, let's switch it to Duke, though. Uh, who do you see from Duke coming out and saying, you know what? Fuck everything that's gone on. We This is our time. We have no other uh, time to do it. We got to go out there and win this game starting now. Who's going to be that guy that says it starts now and it starts with me? Um, it's a good question. I think... Similar to what um, AC said earlier, um, in the Duke-UNC rivalry, there's always usually one one freshman and then just one star. Um, I think this year it'll be Johnson as the freshman, obviously. I mean, I guess it could be DJ, but I think Johnson will come out, have a similar game to what he did against Pitt. Um I think I don't know if you saw. I, I mean, obviously you saw at the end of last game. He kind of like blames. He, he was blaming Wendell. It looked like for not being spaced right. Um, at the end of the at, at the end of that game, because uh, he was too close to Matt Hurt. He's so, done it all season. I, he, he blames a lot of people for a lot of his mistakes all season. Does. That's like that's a sign of a soft player, and that's why K got on him that one game. You know where, he, yeah, where he's yeah. calling him fucking soft. Like that's where he's getting on him about that type of stuff. So. So, so I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump in real quick, Andrew. And you know that's that's actually a great point because um, I had I had written off actually I guess before the Notre Dame game I had written off Jalen Johnson. You know, I, I, he had gone out with the you know quote unquote foot injury, and you know before that I thought he was pretty soft. And I said, you know what, uh, for the first time ever, I'm okay if he doesn't come back. Then he comes out, has a couple great games, has the the phenomenal dunk against Clemson. And I'm doing a 180 on Jalen Johnson, but then he does, to your guys' point, against Miami, he goes reverts back to the same thing. Andrew, is this going to be the time? Is this going to be Jalen Johnson's signature time at Duke? He's only going to be here for one more, one one year, nine more games. Is this going to be his time to be like, hey, this is this is the legacy I'm going to leave at Duke? I mean, it it has to be like if it's not, then it's it's never coming. Um, I think it. I I hope it will, and I think it will. I think he's clearly the most talented freshman on this team. I think he's clearly the most talented player on this team. Um, yeah. I think he'll he'll do a little bit of attacking the rim. Um, I also think he'll he'll do, do a better job of taking care of the ball and getting other people involved. But I I think he'll exploit a pretty favorable matchup against UNC. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And to Jack, I'll throw it over to you. 
you know, I remember Jason Tatum, as you guys all do, dunking over Kennedy Meeks. That was his signature moment in his freshman year, the one that everybody remembers from his time at Duke. Harry Giles has the alley-oop and that whole sequence in the ACC tournament against UNC. That's what everybody remembers. Do you see Jalen Johnson doing that in this game, saying, hey, I want to be remembered for something, even in a down year, I want to be remembered for something against UNC. Jabari Parker did the exact same thing his freshman year at Cameron. Do you see that same type of deal happening? And do you see, the second part of the question is, do you see Coach K drawing up anything different to get him, you know, maybe out in space, being able to play make where he's at his best? Oh, I think K, K I'm going to start with the second part of the question. I think K is totally going to run some full court type of offense off of an inbound or something to make sure Jalen can get the ball with a space to run and just throw it down. I think, I mean, coach K had Grant Hill about 25, 30, Oh geez. 30 years ago. Now I, I feel old and I wasn't even alive, um, but yeah, coach K had Grant no, Hill. Feel- he knows what to do with guys. <laughs> he knows what to do with guys like, uh, like Jalen. I think K can do, do some sets with the, that he could have run for Grant, something like the uh, alley oop in the championship game, for example, comes to mind. There's a lot of things that I think could be run. Um, we we'll go back to the first part. Jalen having a like Duke legacy defining moment. I'm gonna start by saying Kennedy Meeks blocked us on Instagram because we posted that dunk too much and people tagged. Him. I had no way. Did he I'm really? not even kidding. Thought, yeah. Well we done. So now <laughs> you have your signature moment. Love it. Say Baycott. Baycott's soft on the court. Meeks is soft off of it. Back to uh make sure to tag him in this now. Back to uh back to Jalen. I think I think this is a guy who has been very vocally like he loves Duke. This is a guy who wants to leave something for people to remember him by. His his father's big on Duke too. Um like this is a family affair type of thing for him. I think I think he's going to want to. I think he's going to come out aggressive, and I think we're going to see something that we are going to remember. It might not be the Jalen Johnson game, like 2012 is the Austin Rivers game, but it it's going to be something. Jalen's going to do something, and we are not going to forget it. Yeah. Um, AC, I'll let you finish up this segment. Um, if not Jalen, who do you see potentially from Duke making a statement in this game? Matt Hurt. It's Matt Hurt's turn. The last couple losses that we had, Matt Hurt has gotten under six shots in the second half of games, and that's unacceptable for our best and most efficient offensive player. Matt Hurt, he Matt Hurt deserves and should get the chance to score forty points a game. So I've, I've compared him to I, I compared him in the past to Ryan Kelly. Very that was wrong. I was wrong. He he's closer <laughs> to Danny Ferry than he is to Ryan Kelly. And I'm not saying he deserves to get his jersey retired or anything. He's a sophomore or whatever. And I know how people feel about that because today on Twitter, we just put up something about who deserves their jersey retired. And I said, the Zion, I put a Zion's picture up there and people went nuts. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. But Matt Hurt has played a season very much like Danny Hurley's junior season at Duke. And Danny Ferry, I said Danny Hurley, excuse me, Danny Ferry. And Danny Ferry has some of the best Duke UNC stats that you'll see in Duke jerseys. And I think Matt Hurt is going to be that guy who gives it to us. And I think, I think if he does, and I think if Matt, if we feed Matt and if we let Matt go nuts and do his thing and everybody else, including Jalen Johnson feeds off of what Matt Hurt does, I think we can walk away with a victory in this thing, but we have to be willing to let Matt do his thing. There's nobody on UNC who can guard Matt. There's no one. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And there's no one that can guard uh, Jalen Johnson if he plays the way he's capable of. If he plays uh, the way so he's been playing, everybody switch- would be able to guard Jalen Johnson. Sorry. Like, everyone can guard exactly. <laughs> Leaky Black can guard Jalen Johnson. Andrew Playtech can guard Jalen Johnson if he plays the way that he oh, did. Oh, don't do him like that. I'm sorry, man. He's, he played soft and yeah, he deserves that's, it. That's like I mean, you're right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. If he if he listens to that, I hope I hope that's you should probably tweet that and tweet it at him so that he sees it nah, for well, the game and that way we can nah, nah, nah. We can't be the players gets an instant block from five point play bike. <laughs> yeah, same same with Duke Blue yeah, and maybe yeah, that's where right, yeah, you know, I, I posted a tweet. I, I posted a tweet after the Miami game because I was seeing a ton of people on my feed like tagging players. There's a dude who Not, posted the entire starting five. I was like, nah, bruh. Yeah, I, I saw someone oh, tag the whole team. Yeah, like, literally the whole team, walk-ons included. No, you can't do that. These guys are between 18 and 23 years old. Yep. They are at a time in their life where they're figuring themselves out athletically and as human beings. They are not just like they're not robots. entertainment pieces. Right. They're, not, they're not they're not circus animals. These are human beings who happen to be very athletically talented and like they and do not solely exist so that you can watch them on TV. Exactly. Unlike all of us who have nine to five jobs or whatever else, like they have millions of dollars at stake. We cannot understand the pressure that these athletes are under. I'm telling you that right now. Like the pressure that these guys are under on a regular basis, especially at a school like Duke, is immense. And we can't even imagine what it's like. So for us to try to even compare their lives to ours is so silly, man. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, first of all, uh, to wrap this one up, you know, Twitter, social media in general is not real life. Um, So anybody that is out there, you know, actually tweeting at players, things that they, you know, they wouldn't, of course, say to their face, you're a loser. Um, You know, it's okay to critique the the game and and call out the the way the players play, but realize, obviously, they're still still kids and they're still, you know – we're still adults that are rooting for a college basketball team. Just remember where you're at. But moving on from that, um, let's just say, you know, we're going to get our t- to our predictions of the game. But I want to kind of turn it around a little bit. And, you know, Jack, I'll start with you, actually. If Duke wins this game, where do you see the rest of the season going? And the same thing for, for if we lose this game, where do you see Duke going? If we win, this is a momentum win, and I think that this is the game. This is the game. Like, this game, I think, can make or break the season. Like, we've been saying it for a while. Every game can make or break the season for Duke because Duke is not playing like Duke this year. But this game, if, if Duke if Duke wins this game, I legitimately think that we, we have a chance to see these guys win out. I mean, I don't think it's a 100% chance. I don't even know if it's a 50% chance. But these guys, this game could be a spark plug. Jalen Johnson could play, could become Ben Simmons. Matt Hurt could become Dirk Nowitzki. Alpha, this game, like these guys, if this game does anything, like with a win, I think it make like makes the team play with heart the rest of the way because they know that they have something to prove after beating a team like Carolina, which has struggled but is kind of on a turnaround going like trending upward. I think if, if we lose, I think that's going to deflate, deflate every, every single ounce of momentum the team has. Um, and I, I think the season might be over if, if we lose this game. I, I mean, obviously we got, we got eight more games to go before the turn, the ACC tournament, but I think that this, this game might 
take all the air out from under us if if we lose. Yeah, I mean, you can hear it in your voice, and and Andrew. Um, no, I mean it's true. Uh, it's true, you know, it's Andrew, true. You know, Andrew, do you feel the same way? Do you see this as this is it? You know, it's kind of like we thought after Clemson that that this team needed, and then we fall flat on our face against Miami. It's kind of like this is it for us. Do you agree with that? And, and what do you see, you know, in terms of future season, if they win this game and if they, if they don't? Yeah, I wouldn't, I, I agree. It's, a, it's definitely a huge momentum game. Um, I wouldn't say this is it. I think if we, if we lose, um, then we would just have to split with them next when the, at least for tournament implications, we'd have to beat them the second time we play them. And then we'd need another, we'd have to win all the games we're supposed to win. And then we'd have to beat either uh, UVA or Louisville. And then at least, and just at least a couple tournament wins, maybe two, if we beat UVA to have a chance at the tournament. Um, I, I think it could be like, I guess season ending quote unquote from a mental or like from a mental perspective for these guys. But like, I don't think like logistically if we if we lost this game, the season's over because like we could still obviously, I know it's probably unlikely when they see tournament or we still just need like one big win, maybe two big wins at this point, which are still in play. Yeah. And I mean, we obviously have, you know, a couple games that we can potentially, you know, make a couple states. Statements, um, you know, you know, versus Virginia versus Louisville. Um, so it is statistically out there, um, but you made a good point in terms of their mental state, though. AC, what do you see here um, mentally? Let's start there with 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 how fragile this team actually is already. Um, do you see this uh, as a situation where if they lose this game, you know, mentally they're just gonna again a guy like Jalen Johnson he just packs it in. If Clemson, if Clemson wasn't fool's gold, and if Miami is fool's gold, like I think it is, then a win against Carolina puts us back on track and, and lets this team understand and know that, you know what, this is what we have to do to win. We have to come out and play hard and do all the things and listen to coach and all the things like Wendell said in his press, uh, his press conference and everything else. We win the game, and then we move on, and we continue to win games after that. Yeah, we win the game. I think it puts us squarely in – squarely in place for a tournament bid because at the moment everybody has us as like next four out and all the other stuff right so good that puts us in the right direction we lose then it's uh, i i absolutely agree with jack we lose it doesn't matter what we do after that we're done we're toast we only we have four or five gimme games after that and we'll probably win those but then uva louisville and then unc again like if we can't prove if this team can't prove that they can beat the big dogs, then you, you really don't deserve to be in the tournament. So this is absolutely a you deserve it or you don't type of thing. Like season, like season. If season over means not making a tournament, then that's season over. Like yeah, I will absolutely. We lose this game, I'll root for Duke the rest of the season. I'll root hard. I'll watch the games, everything else like that. I'll do all the stuff. I'll do all the tweets. I'll take all the brotherhood chugs, all the other things that we do. But yeah, obviously it will be for nothing. But we win this game then that puts us back into our own driver's seat for making the NCAA tournament. The ACC is really not that good this year. Like, I, I'm, 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 I'm not saying it's likely, obviously, but, like, we could very easily 
win the ACC tournament? Like, who you think is, so? I think it's definitely possible. Like, who is on paper as talented as we are outside of UVA this year? Like, Florida. I'll give really. Florida State. Okay, well, maybe Florida State. But, like, we it, – it's definitely not out of the picture winning four, no, it's four not. games. It's and not. Like, I mean, there's been, there's been five – there's been, like, five I'm, and 20 teams to win their conference before. I, I agree with you. It's not impossible. Right, like, I'm, I'm just saying I think it would be a little premature to call the season over. Like, I do agree, though. I think mentally it would be tough to come back after losing this game, though. But and, I'm, I'm just – and when I say season over, and let's you know, let's right, yeah, because not, like you said, like the NCAA tournament, ACC right. tournament, you know, conference tournament things like there's there's always possibilities in college basketball. What I guess my point is, we put ourselves in our own driver's seat as opposed to being in the Uber on the way to the NCAA tournament and letting somebody take us there. We're in the, we're in the driver's seat to the NCAA tournament if we can beat Carolina. All right, that's that's fair. Yeah, and so I think that to kind of wrap it up, you know, to me, it's pretty simple. Uh, we are that rabid dog. We're starving. We have absolutely nothing to live for at this point other than to try to get that next meal. This is our next meal. We have to have it or we're done. We're extinct. And to me, I want to see, I have absolutely no idea what team is going to show up, but I do know this. If we lose this game, that's the season. It is over. Yes, technically, we could potentially, you know, win the ACC tournament, but we're not going to. We're not going to at this juncture. We're not good enough. Um, that's just that's, – that's no, I'm just being real. That's the reality uh, of the situation. Can we get some kind of gentleman's bet between Andrew and, and TK on this ACC tournament? I want it. 100%. I want absolutely. It. And I hope – and I would hope to I hope to lose that bet, honestly. I want a gentleman's sure bet. Yet, Andrew, we're, I want a gentleman's we're gonna bet have... between Andrew and TK okay. on Duke's chance in the, in the ACC tournament. So right, we, yeah, we will settle that. We, we will settle that in the next podcast. Um, right. you know, Can we get you guys we, back? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. You know, but my my feeling my feeling is this: is that mentally this team is very fragile. Uh, we've seen that. Coach K has talked about it. Uh, Wendell Moore has talked about it. This team's psyche. This yeah. team's mental ability. All those sorts of things. Um, so this is it for them. This is their one home game against UNC. UNC stinks. We stink too, but you know what? We have an opportunity to take them out. Um, if we lose this game, it's over. But if we win, maybe that can change it all around. I'm still not ready to say that it's going to really make a break uh, if we win. But if we lose, it's over. That's the final nail on the coffin. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to our predictions. And I'll start. I'll start. Where are we going to be on this thing, man? Look, AC, last podcast last week, I said we would – Lose to Clemson. I said that we would beat Miami. So I'm 0 for 2. And I also said when we did our season predictions for the rest of the way that we would lose to UMC. I can't possibly go 0 for 3, can I? Well, I'm going to hedge. I'm going to pick us to beat UMC. Oh, don't do that, bro. I'm going to pick us to beat UMC. I'm going to because eventually I have to be right. And to this weekend, I will be right. We will beat UNC. It'll be a 77 to 74 winner in Cameron Indoor Stadium. DJ Stewart with a three with under 10 seconds to go to give us the win. Bookmark it. Jack, what do you got? I, I'm just going to open by saying that is a bold take. <laughs> I'm going to continue. I think Duke's going to win as well. I'm, not, I'm saying.
8177. I think that it's going to be close game the whole way. I think Jalen and Matt as a as a duo we're going to go into takeover mode. Jalen in the full court, Matt in the half court down the stretch. They're going to lead Duke to a 4-point win and Carolina is going to go cry on the bus ride home. Oh man. Hey, 8 miles down the road. Andrew, what do you got? I'll go So I I'll, I'll go Duke 74 UNC 68. I expect pretty low scoring game, lots of foul trouble, slow tempo. I expect Duke to play both bigs, Williams and maybe even top edge. One of those types of boring, you know, get the ball inside, bunch of fouls to the bigs. But I think Duke will prevail in the end. The the front court play of Johnson and Hurt will be too much. AC, wrap it up for us, buddy. What do you got? You ready for this? All right. Look, Roy Williams let a Greg Paulus-led Duke team lead him at the half until Ty Lawson saves his ass, right? Roy Williams gets bailed out by his players on a regular basis, and this season he has none of those guys. Watch this. Watch watch this score up out of here. Duke 77, Carolina 60. Wow. Jesus. I hope that everybody watching this game, especially Duke fans, is going to be having whatever AC sipping Saturday night, <laughs> 6 p.m. ESPN. Go Duke. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Five Point Play podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also check us out on Twitter and Instagram. Five Point Play Podcast. Let's code Duke.